Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 16th of June, 2019. This morning we are joined by Henry Capper, who takes his reading from James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and brings us a message entitled, Why Me, Why Now? Over the next little while, next few times that I'll be up here and opening God's Word, I thought it would be good and proper to um, go through a series and to look particularly at at one book of the Bible. And I've already alluded to that in the kids' talk. We're going to look at the New Testament letter of James. We're going to look at this book for, for a number of reasons. If you have ever uh, glanced through the book of James, like most New Testament, uh, some of the later New Testament letters, it's, it's not a huge amount of writing. It's not lots of words. It's quite small and condensed. But there is so much contained within it. Sometimes, and has been in history and in the past, once very famous people have looked at the book of James, they have struggled with it. They have read it and they have wrestled with how it relates to what we think of Christianity. Martin Luther, the great reformer, famously called it a book of straw. He really struggled with it because of the heavy emphasis that's found within the book of, in regards to the works and the Christian's actions and performance and how that relates but also coexists with faith. But we know with the hindsight of looking at all of scripture and looking as it complements one another that we discover there's, there's no contradiction once we read the book of James. There's no tension with the teaching of this man called James and the Christian we know and specifically what we find what Paul teaches in the New Testament regarding grace and righteousness given through Christ. Instead, what we see here is something, a book that is very heavily practical and relevant. It's applicable teaching from a, a loving pastor. What we have in the book of James is what some people have called street level Christianity. Street level Christianity. It's Christianity for even though written 2,000 years ago it's for the here and now and it has helped the church since it has been written and I know you've got your Bibles open so let's consider this a portion of scripture let's look at James chapter 1 I'm going to read just the opening few verses of James chapter 4 we're going to really focus on the first four verses of how this man, James, opens this letter. Let's read God's word. James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And let's read verse 12 as well. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Can you pray with me? Let's pray as we consider God's word this morning. Father, with with our Bibles open, would our hearts also be open? God, we acknowledge your presence in this place this morning. And we ask that you would be known to us. Lord, we thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you that it is truth because you yourself are truth. Lord, we can trust it. We can rely on it. We know that it is relevant. It is applicable to our lives. Father, would we appreciate that? And would we let that reality impact our lives, particularly this morning? Would your word speak? Would you speak to us and our conditions for your glory? Amen. Amen. Um, At some point in your life, I'm sure that you have asked the following two questions. Why me and why now? Why has this difficult situation landed on my plate? Why has it came upon me at this point in time? Could this maybe not have happened at a different part of my life? Why has it even happened to me at all? Often once we think of our lives, we have an understanding and we have an assumption that bad things shouldn't happen to us. We can expand that even more if we are Christians here this morning. We have, there's just a notion within the back of our head that thinks that bad things shouldn't happen. We're we're Christians, we we follow, we love God, so really bad things shouldn't happen. We really, in in earnest, if we would want to acknowledge it or not, we believe in in karma quite often, that, that good things will come to good people and bad things will come to bad people. That's the the narrative, that's the world that we we live in. We live in a world that says that suffering is is only for those who deserve it. That the bad things in life, that's for the the really bad people. That's for the the evil people in our world. Unfortunately, even within the church of, of Jesus Christ, Christian communities right across the world... There's many contained within that that will put forward a message. They will propagate some story, some message that says if you have faith, if you are a Christian, if you come to Jesus, you have that faith, everything's going to be all right. And even better than that, everything's going to be great. Your life is going to be successful. Just just have faith, come to Jesus, and everything will take care of itself. We know that is so far removed from reality. And it's sad that that is a message that spreads across our world. But let's consider another question. And it's the question that James wants us to think about. Why do we we suffer? Why do we go through hard times? The problem with suffering is that often once it arrives on our our doorsteps, our, our gut reaction is to immediately question why it's there. What good could ever come from this, this difficulty, this, this trial? What good can come from pain and suffering? For Christians, we might ask a, a more pointed question. What, how, why would a, a supposedly loving and, and good God allow for this to happen? 
However, despite all these, these popular, popular notions, these contemporary debates, whenever we take a quick glance at the Word of God, Scripture, we, we quickly realize the explicit reality that is portrayed in God's Word. I absolutely um, love the Word of God for so many reasons, and for one of the reasons why I love it so much is that it doesn't gloss over. The Bible does not ignore reality. Instead, quite often what we find in the Bible that it, it tackles it head on, doesn't ignore it. Often once we read scripture, we read passages that if we really are truthfully honest in our, in our human frailty and condition, we just wish we're not there. The temptation is to maybe look at other parts of the Bible. We love the bits where it talks about God and who he is and how powerful he is and the, the grace that he gives and how loving God is. We like those parts. I love those parts and we should love those parts. And maybe we'll accept the parts where it says that maybe there's an, a little bit of a challenge. God says, right, okay, I love you. Now you have to, to love others and so on and so forth. But once it comes to the, the really difficult passages, we can wish and we can almost pray that they would stay in the corner and not be talked about and this morning we have one of those those difficult passages we have one of those difficult passages and a difficult phrase as well within james 1 1 to 4 before we get into the meat of what james wants to say it's really helpful as we think as we will consider this book and it's an entirety over the course of for however to think about well who is this and where is this coming from? This isn't just a random man writing to a random location that has no random relevance. No, it's the complete opposite. It's crucial to look at who, what is going on, but firstly, who this man was. Who is James the man? Let's read verse 1 again. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greeting. Now, who was James the Je- James, there's a lot of James that with that name written in the, in the Bible. Not going to go through all of those names, you'll be glad to know. But the James that writes this New Testament letter is none other than the half-brother of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you knew that. This is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Read about him in Matthew Mark's gospel accounts where he's named as, as the son of Mary, but also then the, the brother of Jesus alongside the other brothers. And immediately that should just ignite something within us. This isn't as great as the other New Testament writers were. This is the half-brother of Jesus. This is, a, this is a man that would have walked, would have talked with Jesus in his, in his early childhood. This would, have, this would have been a man who, as a child, would have seen his, his older brother grow up living a perfect life with all the mysteries surrounding him, would have seen him start his ministry and then live those three lives, three years out. Yet with all of this, the gospel records tell us and inform us that incredibly James initially was not a believer. John chapter 7 tells us that he had rejected the the claims of his brother. Actually, the group of brothers had rejected Jesus, despite his front row seat, despite knowing his brother, James refused to believe him. 
However, all of that changes when we come to the, 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 after the Gospels, once we get to the book of Acts. And as Jesus has ascended back to heaven 40 days after his glorious resurrection, the, the disciples, they, they are back in Jerusalem where it's all going to start, where the church is going to go out and tell the world. And in Acts 1.13, it says this, And when they, being the disciples, had entered, they went up to the, the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James. James. What has happened? How could James now be a part of, how could he go from rejection to now belief? How has the the brother of Jesus who explicitly rejected him has completely changed his tune? And we we get the answer for that. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. says this in that sort of great summary of what is the gospel, the thing that is of first importance to Paul. He then wants to express that in real terms that people can go and see the, the, go and meet people who've seen the resurrected Lord. And he says this in verse 6. Then he appeared, happy in Jesus, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. It's the resurrection that made the difference for James. Instead of meeting and knowing Jesus as just his earthly half-brother, James now knew him as the resurrected Lord. That moves us on to really an essence of James' life, and that is his own self-perception. This would go through. There we go. James now found himself in a place of power and influence, now as an apostle of Christ, and he would be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Yet with this, this privileged position, James views himself as he introduces himself in his letter as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really fascinating. It's interesting. There's no room in his mind to try to capture some of the limelight as he starts his letter. Of, of all people, he could have easily slipped in a, a little mention that he was, do you know what? I'm James. I'm, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, just, just so you know. And he could have also said something about, I'm, I'm James. I'm, I'm the pastor of the Jerusalem church. I'll, I'll lead the, the, the council of the, the churches in Jerusalem. I'm an apostle. I've seen Jesus risen. There's none of that. There's none of that written. He's a servant. Above all, he was a servant, or might be in your translation, a, a slave of God and of his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was more than content to have his identity in the service of his brother. Because he knew that it was, it was ultimately an honour and privilege to serve his brother, who wasn't just his brother, but was the son of God. The final thing we'll think about in regards to context is James and his, his pastoral focus. We see his, his pastor focus. He had a deep concern and love for the church. As we've said, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Now he's writing to this, this 12 tribes in the dispersion. And more, like, more than likely, this would have included ex-members of his own church. He, he knew these people. These weren't random people he was writing to. These people would have, would have been uh, removed from their homeland. They would have been outside of, of Jerusalem. And they are now in different parts of, of the, of, of, outside of that. They're living in the unknown. And James would have known many of who would have read this letter. 
And this deep passion for them, as, which is so evident as we read this, is that they would keep going. That they would continue in the faith. He's writing to Christians who, who have came out of the, the old Jewish customs. Now they're facing severe persecutions at the hands of now Jews for their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. They're outside of Israel. They're in foreign lands. And he writes straight into that situation to do what? To encourage these believers, to help them to lift their eyes above their circumstances, as difficult as they are, and to fixate them on their Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to tell them that the bigger picture, he wants them to know the bigger picture in the midst of their suffering. So that is why we read those difficult words that start off verse 2. Because this deep pastoral love and awareness of the situation, James can boldly, but yet lovingly and earnestly write, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In his own words, this is what he has to say. If we were to elaborate a little bit, James is saying, I know exactly what you're going through. I've heard the stories of your persecution. This is the advice I give to you. Count it all joy. And to stress this point, it's not that James presents this as an optional extra, sort of like a take it or leave it attitude. No, this is a command. This is an imperative from this church leader. He's telling these dispersed, these persecuted, these these fairly infant Christians to to number their trials and then to count them as joy. And let's just just pause, let's just think about that and ask the somewhat obvious question. Why in the world is James telling them this? Why does he even start like this? Surely he could have started the letter in a different way, maybe what we considered earlier on, remind them of something great, the great love of God or something, or something else. That's what the Apostle Paul often do. He'll start off with this great theology of, of who God is. That's not how James starts things. Because really what James is presenting to us is that the trials and what he wants them to understand are never, ever outside of the sovereign will of God. The trials, the temptations that we face do not take God by surprise. Certainly, we we want to clarify that that suffering and, and difficulty in our lives certainly often can be a result of the bad bad decisions and the mistakes that that I make and that you make. Yes, evil and suffering can impact us from outside of ourselves, but often it can happen as a result of our own sin and unrepentance. But often the life of a Christian is marked by tribulation. Jesus promises it, makes that very clear. Every trial we go through, it's, it's not random, but it sovereignly occurs under God's control. Because God is a God who uses every moment of our lives. The highs, certainly lows here. The trials that we face to accomplish his purposes. Now James is is not saying, and hear this clearly, James is not saying that 
Christians should go out and seek trials and, and when they find them be, be overjoyed in some strange and bizarre way. But the essence of, of what he is saying is that as a Christian, even when difficulty knocks on your door, you can be joyful. You can earnestly be joyful. So the simple question is this. Can you honestly be joyful when true pain enters your life? Whenever we get that unfortunate medical diagnosis, once we're possibly made redundant from our job, when relationships in our lives that were close to us sever and break down and then ultimately are detached, can we honestly be joyful? And it's hard for me not to think about this and to read these words and not think about my own life and uh, meditate and think about that. And as, as many of you will, will know that the last year in regards to my, my family life has been a, a difficult time. And that started last June where my mother was given a, a particular diagnosis that was, was not positive. And we have lived with that over the last year. And as many of you will know, um, my mum passed away um, about a month and a half, near two months ago. And that was difficult. That was, that was something no one ever wants to go through. And that has been a, a challenge for, for my entire family. But what I want to say with that, not just to throw that in, is that over the last year, as I've had sweet times, my family have had such sweet times spending last days with my with my mum, was looking at a, a lady, a woman who who knew the Lord, who loved Jesus, who certainly had down days, certainly had moments of, of tears and sadness, of pain and anguish, but ultimately and overriding was a woman who who was able to look at her, her pain and suffering and to see the big picture. Was to see a woman who wasn't anxious about what was going to happen, who wasn't, who wasn't fretting, who wasn't pointing the, the finger vindictively at God, at how could you ever let this happen to me? But praise God, and I certainly mean that, was a woman who exemplified faith and loved her Lord and was able to trust him in certainly the most difficult time of her life. My mum was, was a great example of going through pain and suffering and seeing the big picture and having honest and earnest joy because she knew one day that the pain and suffering was going to be over. It was going to be no more. And not that it was going to be over, but life would certainly increase and get better as she would be with her Lord and Saviour. So when true pain enters our lives, can we honestly say we can be joyful? And for the Christian, the answer, we can't say this sort of half-hearted. It has to be yes. It has to be yes. There's no other answer for it. How could we, with a, a message like the gospel, say anything other than yes to that question? Our world can't answer that question. It can't answer that question at all. There's no answer to pain. There's no answer to suffering. Our world that is just encompassed with secularism that wants to drive religion out can't understand and can't grasp a funeral. 
I'm sure you've been there, you've been to a funeral, you've been beside people who are outside of the faith in Jesus Christ and they just can't understand pain, suffering, evil and the greatest foe of all, death. Paul tells the Corinthian church that in all our affliction I am overflowing with joy. Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they've been publicly beaten, they've been flogged for sharing the good news, they're thrown into prison And Luke records that. What are they doing at midnight? They're praying and singing hymns. The interesting thing is that James here does not write, count it all joy, my brothers, if you meet trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Trials are part and parcel of life. doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter if you're a Christian here, if you're not a Christian. The question we, we do not need to ask is, are these things going to happen? What we need to ask is, who am I trusting whenever they arrive? All of us will experience the, the heartaches of life. The question is, are you going to do it with or without the assured hope of the gospel? Are you going to experience pain with or without Jesus. The Christian can trust in one who has already been there. The Christian can have faith in the one who has already experienced it. Jesus who who suffered on our behalf, ultimately on the cross, but the Jesus who overcame the greatest of pains, the greatest of foes, and that is death. How could we how could we not trust Jesus once we consider all that he has done for us? For the Christian, we, they, we and us, we can look at the pain and suffering and know that the one day that will be no more. Trials often remind us that this is not how the world was supposed to be. God did not intend for humanity to suffer and experience extreme levels of pain. But as the unfortunate regret of sin entering our world, the world fell under its curse. And that's where you and I find ourselves now. But though sin plagues us, that does not mean God is not in control. One commentator in this this passage, he says this, which I think is very helpful. We need to realize that trials are not joyful in and of themselves, but they are joyful when we realize they are under the authority of a sovereign God who is accomplishing his purposes through them. So what is God accomplishing What are the purposes behind the difficult moments of life? And well, that's what the next point is that James wants us to consider in the the verses 3 and 4. God uses the the trials of of various kinds, which can range from the the small to the somewhat somewhat insignificant to the grand and the the big moments of life, those that change our lives. And they're all to, to test our faith. And they're to produce steadfastness. To be steadfast is the idea, it's the concept of being resolute and unwavering. It has this kind of character, this is the kind of character that, that God wants his children to epitomize and to, to live off. And well, well, once, we, once we read verse 12, it tells us that blessed is the man who, who remains steadfast under these trials. Trials, in essence, really go to show if we really believe in something or not. Or not. It's easy to believe in something once everything's rosy, but once the rubber hits the road, that's when we'll really show if we really truly believe 
in something. Just think with me for uh, a moment the, the, the famous parable that, that Jesus offers in Matthew 13, the, the parable of the sower. Think of, of the, the seed, that's the, the gospel message, and we think of the ground that the seed will, will fall on. That represents the, the hearts of, of people that will hear the gospel, and then the different responses of, of whether there's, there's fruit or not, and what happens as a result of the seed landing on the ground. Think of particularly the, the second seed. What does it do? It lands on the, the rocky ground, and it grows. It, it actually starts off, there's, there's life, but there's no roots. And then it dies. And thankfully Jesus interprets that for us. And he tells us that that resembles the person who who hears the gospel. Goes on for a while. But then trouble hits their life. And their faith is no more. The word for steadfastness could, could also be. And it could be in your translation. It could be endurance. Or it could be perseverance. That's God's desire for his children. It's his desire. That's what James is trying to get. I said, or he wants him to keep going. No matter what, don't give up. Yes, you'll come up with, with every difficulty possibly, but keep trusting, keep going. Don't give up because it's totally worth it. So that the, the steadfastness that would thrive in us to the point of completion that we would lack nothing. And this is really the ultimate purpose of what trials will accomplish, according to James. This is, this is God's goal for us, that we would grow in maturity, that we would grow in our likeness of his son, Jesus. That one day, when we, when we draw our last breath, that when we will meet God, we will be face to face with God. And at that moment, we will be made perfect. The day that we will truly not need anything more, that this is the goal of life. This is what Christianity is saying to our world that one day you will meet God. We think that life is is wrapped up on trying to be successful, going for for next promotions, having a lovely family and all important things in our lives and very admirable. But if we think like that, if they are the ultimate priorities, when trials then hit us, we will be shipwrecked. We will be destroyed. We will not know what to do. If that's what we're living life for, if that's what our mantra of life is, to be happy and successful when trials come into into our lives, we won't know what to do. But if our mindset is that the goal in life is to grow in likeness of God, we will know that even trials are moving us forward to that goal. However, we, we cannot wait for, for trials for the, we cannot wait for trials to come into our lives for this process of steadfastness and perseverance to take place. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We don't learn in the moment as much as we can. We need to be prepared for when those days comes. As I close, let's think, uh, as, as relevant, as practical as this book is, in particular as these first few verses are, let's think of what, what does this mean to, to our lives in the here and now. James is, is not saying to us to, to try really hard. He's not saying that, you know, all you need to do is to knuckle down, and you know, you just have to tough it up, you know, put on a brave face, and everything will be all right. 
Now, what he's doing is he's encouraging us to lift our heads. Lift our heads. Don't bury our heads in, in the sand. It's telling us to lift our heads. It's troublesome to live in, in the here and now, banking on, banking on our own satisfaction, uh, satisfaction and ultimate happiness and how our, our lives are going right now. It's the problem that we see throughout our world. As I said, it's why there's no response from our world once difficulty comes. There's no response once terrorist attacks take place, once there's awful atrocities. Don't know what to say. There's no understanding. There's no, comp- there's no narrative to explain why these things happen. But what James is saying, what this, this fine and loving pastor is saying is that don't fixate your life into the moment. He's telling us to fix our lives with eternity in focus. He's telling us one day we're going to meet God. So everything that happens between this day and until that day is preparing you for that day. So whatever is happening to you, if you're a Christian, is happening for your ultimate good. And one day you'll be able to look back and remind yourself of of maybe, you'll maybe have a moment of hindsight where you're able to look at that trial. You may be, even be able to be thankful for the lessons that it taught you and how it molded you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is the, the logic James is trying to put across. So that even when we read verses 2 to 4 of his opening chapter, we don't read a, a completely irrational and crazy statement of count it all joy when trials come upon us, but quite the opposite. The command of James is Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's a call for a decisive act. It's a call to consider our troubles as opportunities for joy and endurance. Though he is calling us at the same time to trust a God. A God who is, who is rich in mercy. A God who uses our pain and our trials, difficulties, the heartaches sufferings of our lives for our very good and if we need any convincing of that if there's even a, an ounce of doubt of how God would use difficulty to bring about goodness then we look to the ultimate demonstration of how difficulty produce goodness and we look to the greatest event of all we look at the cross of Jesus Christ We consider and we worship as we think of Jesus bearing the greatest of all pains. The ultimate suffering as Jesus would bear the sins of you and I and this entire world. And more so the wrath of his very father. As the father had willed it. So that he would please and glorify the Father. But likewise that he would do it for our very good. And our very good is that once we put our faith and trust in that. He takes that away from us. He takes the sin away. And we're called into the family of God. We're called into the community that will last forever. And we're called. We're reminded. We're promised that we have an eternity secured. In heaven. Once we consider, once we meditate, once we think of that, how could we not be joyful whenever we think of all him that God has done for us? James says, Count it all joy. 
Don't go looking for, for suffering. Don't go looking. It, it will come your way. It's going to come knocking. He's telling us to, to lift our heads. Look, look to Jesus. Fixate our minds that we are eternal beings. One day, trials will be no more. And everything that happens between that now and that moment is all making us and producing in us steadfastness and Christ-likeness so we could glorify God in these moments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the, the encouraging parts of your word. God, we thank you for the the difficult and the often hard to digest parts of scripture god thank you that it's that it's good for us god this is this is a this is a message this is a this is an idea that we have considered that is that is so far foreign from outside of these walls god thank you that in every aspect every moment of life that you are you're using you can use it God, thank you that you are the God that we can trust in in the good and happy days, but you're also the God we can equally trust in the difficult and down days of life. God, thank you that you're the same no matter what we're going through. God, thank you that you're, you're present with us and that you want to use us to bring glory to your great self. God, would we acknowledge that? Would we be open, empty vessels would we be filled by your spirit as we consider all that we have? And would we be used? And would you change us and mold us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ? And we praise him for all that he has done. And it's in his name that we pray and give thanks. Amen.